Hi, Jeff here from the University of Kentucky. Ciao, I'm Kristen from the University of Minnesota. Salut, this is Tina from the University of Colorado. And alam, greetings. This is Stuart from the University of Mississippi. Welcome to Pharmacy Fika. A podcast for pharmacy educators by pharmacy educators. Where we discuss teaching and learning, scholarship, and academic life. In Sweden, a fika is a coffee break, but it's much more than that. It's a state of mind and attitude. It's all about slowing down. And finding time for friends and colleagues. While you sip a beverage and enjoy a little something nice to eat. So join us. everybody. It's great to have you all back on the FICA today. I had lost about 35 pounds doing intermittent fasting back just prior to COVID hitting. And then with COVID, I was home all the time. I kind of gave up on the intermittent fasting because there's food around all the time. And I gained almost all of it back. So in the last two years, so I'm trying to get back to intermittent fasting. So today it is only tea for me. No snack. Well, it's only tea for me too. Um, what is yours, Stuart? What kind of tea? Uh, I yeah. just do black tea. You know, plain old black tea. Ah, well, we got to we got to transition you to some more exciting things. Um, I, I I'm know. Doing, <laughs> I'm doing an Irish breakfast tea, not English breakfast, mm-hmm. Irish breakfast, and I just find that it's like nice and bold. But they put a little Kenyan tea in it too to like soften the finish. Is it yeah. that Trader Joe's one? Nope, nope, okay. this is the Twinnings. Okay. I love the Trader Joe's Irish breakfast. So, yeah. How about you, Jeff? Water? Water, but actually, for the very first time, I actually have a snack. There you go. Not much of a snack. It's an orange, but I've upped my training volume, and this is normally my lunchtime. And I was just like, okay, I cannot wait an hour. So, I'm going to have to eat something. So, water and an orange. Well, I'm just back from Geneva, Switzerland, where I scarfed a lot of great Swiss chocolate. So I'm back on the, kind of got my ginger tea. I like a nice spicy ginger. And then I have, if Jeff has a small orange, I have the Sumo Mandarin, which is very therapeutic to peel. It's just like easy. It feels great. Has a nice, you know, citrusy wake up sense. Well, um, today we wanted to talk about annual performance evaluations, because I think we've we've alluded to this in several of our previous podcast episodes. And it's that time of year. I don't know when your performance evaluations are, but ours are in February, March, at least in the institutions I've been at. You're probably in the same boat. So it's a good time of year to talk about it. Yeah, thanks, Stuart. Um, this is a topic that is really important to me. It was so important that I'm especially nervous to discuss it publicly. I've, you know, I was telling each of you guys that I have some strong biases. I've been through different performance evaluations at different places. Um, I thought maybe we could start out by each each of us talking about a, a little brief bit about what we do at our institutions, because I suspect there's a, some commonality, but also some differences. So for us, we're actually, we just conclude at the end of March and ours includes sort of what the university requires. I call that the least you need to do. And then what our school and our departments require. And those are a bit more detailed about how you document your teaching, how you document your um, research and your service activities. And 
I would say this school is a swing towards a bit of a lot of documentation goes into that. So it's a, a big, massive kind of a spreadsheet where everything goes into and that ultimately calculates a numeric value to two digits after the decimal. And then the evaluators look at that. And, and at some point we provide a, a review back to the entire faculty. And for us, uh, we haven't got all the numeric values sorted for this year, but last year when I asked what the spread was, it ranged from about 4.4 to 4.7 on a five-point scale, with five being the optimal. So a lot of work and documentation goes into, but a pretty narrow range of where people come out. The planning process is not as well documented. It's pretty much supervisor-specific, and so looking at how you're setting goals for next year, how those goals map to the school's goals or the university's goals or even the planet's goals, uh, that part is a little left up to, um, I think, interpretation. What about you, Kristen? How do you guys do it? Oh, we have such a complicated system. I, I It's hard to even describe. We have five departments. A promotion and tenure and annual review occur down at the department level. So we have five different systems with some similar technology. So we're all using Works. That's, uh-huh. that's um, a digital manager's product that we uh, have from the university. We document in there and we're encouraged to document throughout the year. So we, we document in works, but then what happens when it comes out of works uh, varies by department. And so my department has us add a narrative to that. And I'm a big fan of impact stories. Mm-hmm. And we're really trying to work towards people being able to describe their impact mm-hmm. beyond just the things we normally count. And so we get to write a little little paragraph about our teaching and what was most, most important about our teaching and then service and research and practice. That all goes to peer reviewers. Peer reviewers rate us on a, on a now nine point scale. We went from three to nine points. A feeling that maybe we would get more precision as an assessment person, I don't agree with that, but we, we do rate each other and the department head receives that and the department head does a rating and then that goes to the dean. So many layers every year. Many layers every year. So this process goes on every year. And I'm assuming that if it's a big year, meaning you're going up for some sort of promotion, that's probably even amplified. Yeah, then there's a dossier process and all that. Yeah. Cool. What about you, Jeff? Well, mine is not nearly as horrendous sounding as Kristen's. <laughs> um, the university has a standard, I guess, yearly or annual review for faculty system that has to you know, come from the department, through the college, on up to the provost office. We've actually finished ours, I don't know, a couple months ago. Ours is a, it's a really horrible timeline because it's, it has to be done at the college level, like January, middle of February, which is like as soon as Christmas holiday break is over. It's like just the department chairs are just, that's all you're doing is just evaluations, trying to get them done. The yearly process for our department. And I, and I think every department has a little bit of leeway on exactly what this process looks like for them. But one good thing that we have done recently is that tenured faculty only go through the review process every two years. That's, you know, just cuts down on some of the burden. This past year was that year. But then the next year you go through, you're documenting two years of work. It's not like you get this year (laughs) off. You're not evaluated, but you get two years of work the next time. But at least it saves some meetings. There is a standard form that has teaching, scholarship, service, you know, clinical service, all kinds of other things. 
uh, we get a, a copy of that that's generated that automatically has our teaching stuff that's drawn from the system. But then we fill in the other things, publications, presentations, all of the other stuff. And within each, there is a little box for a narrative to talk about those. Then there's a you know one-on-one -on -one meeting with the department chair who goes through those. Oh, and, and I would also say there's a rating scale, one to four scale that in each area of your you know service administration, if you have it, you know, scholarship teaching, you're, you meet with the department chair. Our department chair doesn't use it so much as a review of what you've done as much, as, and I appreciate this, as much as what are we doing next year and where are you going and what, what are your goals? What are your long-term goals? What are something new you want to do? Are there things we need to change? That process, I think it's beneficial. We don't have one that is so focused on evaluative than it is on going forward. Now, of course, the whole promotion and tenure process is a completely different set of a review system that takes into consideration this. But from my end as vice chair, I have to do the evaluation for all the teaching for every faculty member, which means I have to put in a score of one, two, three, or four with some type of narrative that goes along with that. And I will just be honest, I hate that process because it's, I mean, it was, as we'll probably talk, it's just fraught with problems and issues of being able to do this in a very reliable, valid way that this actually means something. Yeah. Oh, thanks for sharing that. It sounds like your system is a, a bit more forward facing about what's going to happen next, but still some of the same, dare I say, tedium. <laughs> yeah. And I would think that the forward facing is probably a reflection more of our chair okay. than the system. So I, I would guess that many of the other departments across campus and maybe even our own college, it is an evaluative because those numbers, you do get a score, you get an overall score of 3.78, whatever it <laughs> averages out. And then those are somehow taken into consideration if there is a cost of uh, living raise. Yeah. Um, yeah. That is true. I think for all of us, you know, Sometimes these are linked to pay raises and sometimes they're, they're not. Yeah. Stuart, what about you guys? So the University of Mississippi, since I have, quote, an administrative title as a director of a, of a unit, of a program, professional development, I actually don't go through an annual performance evaluation. I mean, I fill it out as a faculty member. It's, we call it our faculty activity report, which is just a listing. I mean, it's just a list of the things that you did in each of the buckets. And there is a little space for a narrative about what your plans for the future in teaching, scholarship, and service. But that's it. It's a list and then some you know, qualitative comments that you can make about what you plan to do for the future. Again, because I'm in an administrative position, I'm not required to do it, but I do it anyway. And then two, I don't meet with my boss. So <laughs> it's, every, it's done every five years for administrative roles. And then it's a 360 evaluation, meaning the people who report to you and everybody else weighs in on your performance. And then um, whoever your supervisor is, in my case, the dean, sits down with you and goes over that uh, you know, performance evaluation at the end of five years. Um, but from what I understand from faculty, and my wife is a department chair, so I, I, you know, I understand the process from her standpoint. Um, there is a rating, but the ratings, of course, are determined by the department chair. So they, you turn in your faculty activity report, and then the department chair assigns what they believe to be the appropriate values to 
of those, you know, whether you're meeting standard or not. And I think it's the three levels, meeting or above standard, at standard, below standard. I mean, you know, so like, and I think it's clunky. Now, when I was at Maryland, uh, it was similar. We called it an effort report there, but the same sort of concept. And then you met with your department chair and they looked at it. But to me, it was very inefficient. You might as well have just taken my CV, right? You know, like I keep my CV up to date. I'll just hand you my CV. You take a look at it because that's all it is, is a list of stuff that you've done. And I don't see the point of filling out and spending hours filling out in a separate form. Now, I realize there's some accountability that we should all expect to live up to. But to me, it just seemed like a very inefficient way to collect the information. I just never quite got it. And and I don't think it really enhanced performance in any way. I, yeah. I think most of us feel that way. And so that's why I really appreciated some of the articles that Tina had sent, which is, you know, if this is intended to be more formative than summative, then I think the process is definitely broken because it doesn't do anything to form us other than maybe what Jeff's department chair does to kind of be more forward thinking about it during that meeting, the meeting itself, not necessarily the process, right? That's no. that's really interesting you say that, um, and that links back to a topic from a previous podcast and perhaps one that we're going to revisit in the future, which is you know, the role of grades with students, right? These are essentially our grades. Um, somebody's grading us. Because I was relatively new in my position this year, and people just were, I was looking at the fatigue and exhaustion on my team. Um, I think if there's a, a real problem that you need to address, you probably shouldn't wait to the annual review to say, hey, back in August, we noticed there was a big problem and we we're going to wait till February to talk to you about it. And so I looked around at outside of pharmacy. I like Harvard Business Review and some of the stuff that they do and tried to come up with a what I felt like was one, a way for me to get to know my folks better. I only started in mid-September. I came up with a system where um, I asked them to send me their CVs and highlight the changes they wanted me to see. But then to answer these questions, how closely do you feel your work is connected to the overall goals and success of the school? Are you able to do your best work most days? Why or why not? What are we currently not doing as a team that you feel we should do? What's one thing you are very motivated to accomplish in 2022? And what do you need from me to support you in accomplishing this? And so we just tried to kind of take a step back. And again, this was just the, the, my direct reports and say, can I get to know you from your CV with highlighted what you like? And these are the kind of questions that aren't on the CV, right? Because it might be, I'm really working on this paper. We've submitted it to three different places. We're revising. You know, that, that's not something that we're going to pick up on. So, Tina, are these questions, questions that you asked during the meeting or you expect a written response? Because I think people, depending on their you know, level of comfort in yeah. writing, might give you a very abbreviated response to those and not get to what you want to really yeah. get at to. Or is it a combination of both writing and a conversation? I, I did ask them to submit that in advance, dot point style, though, like not full-blown essay, um, RX writing challenge style, uh, but dot points. And then we use those in our meeting. When I asked previously what people valued the most about what they valued at all or the most about the review process, they said the meeting. They liked the meeting. So I thought, well, if we can truncate the amount of time you feel ticking these boxes 
then I can expand the amount of time that I have for them in the meeting. And this became sort of the architecture for that. But sometimes, depending upon the person and what was going on with them, it led us to, you know, what, sort of what's really going on. Where's your autonomy? Where's your mastery? How do you feel about purpose? And again, recognizing that 2021 probably wasn't anybody's best lived year personally or professionally. What they did tell me was they felt their time was better spent and that they hadn't really thought about some of these questions before sort of sort of what is in their control what what can we influence together and what are things that you know we may just have to accept and so it's a little bit preliminary but you know i, I felt like it was a more humanistic way of getting to know my group and showing them that they're both valuable which almost everybody felt valuable but valued and that how do we, you know, massage that value towards where we want to go. Um, so, Tina, I like your, you made the statement of truncating the documentation time in favor of the actual meeting, which I'm going to dare say that's probably the frustration of many faculty is the documentation piece of the time commitment to do that, that we see little value in. Stuart, you said, you know, it's, it's just your CV put in a different <laughs> box on a different sheet of paper, like why we spend so much time with th that piece and so little time discussing what it actually means, right? Because I can put, I can put down, I taught this course as three credit hours and I can put, I wrote these eight papers. And I think about this every time I have to do something like this, it's like my time, I'm spending my time doing this when I could be doing what I'm supposed to be doing is either getting better at teaching, doing more scholarly work, providing better service. But this is not a complaint session, so I'm not going to complain the whole time. <laughs> well, so I, so the, the end of that, Tina, is I think what you did of actually using that face-to-face -face time to actually make some meaning out of it is a, is a positive thing. Yeah. And, and I was going to say the other thing that I don't like about these performance evaluations is they're at least the way they're structured at most schools and universities is very summative. In other words, we just do it a report and then we evaluate your performance. We assign a number or ranking or rating to it in some way, and that's it. And it's not formative. And if you really wanted it to be formative, you'd meet with people a lot more than once a year. <laughs> and it would be very specific, like let's have a meeting about your scholarship. And then just concentrate on that or a project that you had completed and what did you learn and so on, or just have a meeting about your teaching. It's kind of like what people tell us about grades with students. Well, we have to have something and this, what, this exists and it's probably easier just to keep this than it is to really think about what the purpose of, of some of these things are. And I tend to believe that we spend a lot of time and effort trying to recruit the best people and the best fit for you know, what we're trying to do. And then our job should be to try to help them remove barriers to their success, but help them to feel more connected to our greater goals. So if Jeff published 25 papers this year, all in Q1 journals that were cited, you know, amazingly, but at the cost of he was a real jerk to his colleagues, he wouldn't serve on any committees, he wouldn't take any, you know, that might individually look like success, but overall, it's not very successful for our group. And in fact, it could cause problems. And so 
coming up with a more holistic way of even talking about it. So we're venturing into this area. So I'm going to kind of break into it already. So there's this book, Nine Lies About Work. And one of the chapters in here, which is actually probably my favorite, one of my favorite chapters is one of the lies is that people can reliably rate other people. And it goes into the systems. And just like these systems, if you have these items and you rank somebody on a one to five scale that we don't do it well, like no one can rate others very well. And, you know, there's a a number of reasons of why that is. You know, one of the interesting things is, you know, you have this five point scale and this is kind of goes back to Kristen's point of what it really shows you is people reduce it to a three point scale because no one really uses the bottom two scales. (laughs) Right. And so it, and that the ratings in general reflect more on the rater than they do on the person being rated because the rater carries the same thing to everybody versus you would think it would change depending on who they're rating, but it doesn't happen. So that's one of my favorite things. And I can't explain that whole chapter as well as they did, but it is a good one if you're interested in reading more about that. Jeff, I'm so grateful that you always give us such great book suggestions. And every time you do, I frantically get the book and and read it. So I hope our listeners will consider that as well. You know, but you bring up something really important. So, so my team had had two different supervisors over about two years because of some change and and how things, and the first supervisor was very much a meet, we have high expectations, meeting expectations is fantastic. And she tended to be a, most people have met expectations. And if you won a Nobel prize, you probably exceeded our expectations. The person that came in next gave everybody a very, very high rate. Now, again, pandemic, probably that was reflective of some of that. But then if you come back in and say, oh, last year you got a five. If you get a three this year, you're pretty unhappy. <laughs> it is it, complicated, right? Because it's yeah. not just you. It's it's not just how well you evaluate. It's you're counting on other people to norm the scale in the same way. Yeah. yeah. There's a, this reminds me, there's another book that I read many years ago, and I still refer to it. It's called Punished by Rewards. It's, uh, it's by Alfie Kahn. And the subtitle is The Trouble with Gold Stars, Incentive Plans, A's, Praise, and Other Bribes. And it, it is, it goes into a long list of why, you know, it never works is one of the issues you bring up, Tina, is like everyone's rating it different. Or if you change someone's rating downward, it's such a disincentive, it's disheartening. I mean, it's like, why do I, why, why should I even bother? Now my ratings are going down, even though it's perfectly good. But it, again, it's about expectations in your head about what it means versus the expectations in the other person's. Um, so there's lots of problems with it. And, you know, award programs, as much as the person who gets the, the employee of the month or whatever, is it, it seems like it's nice, but it's the 12 other people who didn't get the award that makes them feel so resentful. So I'm, it is a whole bunch of problems when you do these kind of recognitions and ratings and all this does not build people's internal motivation, which is really what we want. All this external stuff, just like grades with our students, does not lead to what we want, which is, you know, people motivated to do their best work. Kristen, you're the most holistic person I know, and I'm so grateful that you are. What are your thoughts on some of this? Well, as an assessment person, this may sound as 
that's kind of um, heresy, but why are we doing the numbers? <laughs> um, we're, we're doing the numbers for comparison. Well, is that our, our goal of the system? I, I think we have, we have too many competing goals. We want too many things out of one system. And so we do none of them well. <laughs> That's a really nice way of putting it and, and linking even back to what Stuart was saying about rewards. And I, this is going to sound like heresy too, because, oh my gosh, if you can give somebody a teaching award, it's going to sound like I'm against that. Because sometimes even those award things, the initiation energy, the right people don't do it. They're like, I'm so busy teaching and improving my teaching. I don't have time to write an award application. And the fact that this person did probably means they're not doing that much teaching. I don't know. Um, so, so what's our solution? I mean, one thing I have very timely, uh, the Macy Foundation, which is a uh, resource that I, I really enjoy, um, had a blog post from this Monday about performance reviews reconsidered, elevating outcomes through humanized systems. And it goes back to what Stuart was saying is, is the purpose you know, overall ranking, or is the purpose development? And if the purpose is development, then, um, you know, having future-focused, collaborative, goal-setting conversations that will motivate humans, and part of what they say is sort of asking better questions that help people feel and be seen, you know, connecting as humans, and, and I've just, it really appealed to me. I hope that people like us and the people that we're speaking with can use their agency to really adjust those systems. It doesn't sound like any of these systems are giving us what we want. And yet we put a lot of energy into um, having them persist. Yeah. And I think Tina, and just using our department chair as an example, you know, we're within a system, universities that we have to comply with certain things that we have very little input into changing, but at least the way our department chair does it, he kind of flips it on the end, you know, that meeting, which is, you know, at the end, he has to assign a, a numeric rating just like everyone else. But we or the, the chairs or the people doing the evaluation can sort of flip that a little bit to, to get it more to where we're getting out of it what we want to get out of it instead of just taking that number and sending it on down the line to end up in the employee file somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I particularly like the article that you sent to us. It was by Joshua Kim, Inside Higher Education. And it actually came from a staff perspective, but he really focused on how people learn. It should be more formative, not summative. So that means meeting with people more frequently, having the, the feedback be more contextual. In other words, soon after you have the performance, that presentation, that publication, that whatever it is, that's when you meet with somebody and go through it or the failure, you know, something that didn't go well and have formative feedback and discussion about it rather than waiting to an annual report, you know, annual. And by then you're so divorced from the performance, it doesn't mean anything to you anyway. Uh, so contextualizing it, having a growth orientation, allowing people to take risks, celebrating failures, um, and, and playing to people's strengths. You know, how are you contributing to our overall mission, which was your point earlier, Tina, is like, how do we connect the person to what our unit's strategic directions are, colleges' strategic or schools' strategic directions, all of that. 
And then team evaluations, he brings up team evaluation. Is there a portion of it in there? It should be linked back to the work that you're doing in teams and that the team get an evaluation. It's just for the whole team. It's not a part of your annual evaluation. Um, and I thought it was just really a, a very nicely written article and brought up some of the key issues that we even talk about with students, you know, like how do we build internal motivation and give people feedback that's actionable, you know, rather than summative at the end of the year, which really doesn't do as much good. Stuart, I think that is a great way of sort of summing up at least those perspectives. Those don't seem that controversial to me, especially for educators. It, as you say, it sounds like exactly what we try to bring into the learning experience, instilling lifelong learning in our students as one of our goals. And this could be one of the ways that we model that, right? I love this, this conversation about trying to steer our systems towards more holistic and, and formative and developmentally oriented motivational systems. And I just want to add to that, you know, even if we could achieve that, I think there's still another problem out there. And that is that we need to learn, in my opinion, we need to learn to value a diversity of contributions. And that needs to be part and parcel with these systems. Uh, we can still be very developmentally oriented, but still oriented towards more publications and more grants, and, and that's all that matters. Um, so how do we, we learn to value contributions across a very broad spectrum and appreciate people for what it is that they're bringing and not try and steer everyone towards the same, the same goal? Well, I think we're out of time. It's good to see you. And I think we'll be back in a month. I think we're going to be talking about critical thinking, critical <laughs> thinking. That's right. We're yeah. going to be talking about critical thinking and how to teach it. So with that, I'm going to say sayonara, everybody, and we'll see you in a month. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to Pharmacy Fika, a podcast where we enjoy coffee and conversations. If you liked this episode, please pass it along to a colleague and be sure to rate us. You can share your reactions on Twitter at Pharmacy Fika, but please be kind. This is a safe space. Got a question or want to suggest a topic for a future episode? Leave us a voice message at speakpipe.com slash Pharmacy Fika. Bye for now. Namaste. Das Vidanya. Au revoir.